0: Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome, listeners, and thank you for being here today. I am absolutely bursting with excitement to introduce you to Father Leo, the priest who beat Bali Flea. Rather than serving in a parish, Father Leo ministers by cooking, cooking for groups small and large, Catholic and non-Catholic, and even cooking on his own television show. And while this may be unusual for a priest, Father Leo contends that when he feeds others, he follows closely in the example of Jesus Christ himself. As a teen, Father Leo loved his mother's rustic and delicious Filipino dishes, but he remained apathetic about her faith. Today, Father Leo shares with us not only his conversion story, but also the path to his very unusual calling. Whatever your spiritual beliefs, you will be encouraged by Father Leo's wise and practical advice on how to become more grateful and how to find meaning in the daily, sometimes exhausting, Act of cooking for others. Hey, Father Leo, I'm very honored and grateful, and excited to be chatting with you.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: I went on your website and I noticed the one authentic Filipino dish that you talk about, okay. which is I think it's. Tell me if I'm pronouncing it right. Sin- oh yeah, sinigang. It's
1: it's uh, it's just a stew. It's a fish stew.
0: Sinigang. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had it for dinner last night. Actually thanks okay. to you. It was delicious.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, that was a very basic version of a synagogue mm. and it's it's nowhere near as sour as it should be, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it. I have to cook for an American palate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So what usually gives it the
0: sour flavor?
1: It's something called calamansi.
0: Mm.
1: And so the calamansi is a type of a uh, small lime, but it has citrus of orange in it as well, but it is, it's nice and sour. Um, Some people even just use vinegar to, to kind of cook their seafood in with it. And so you, I mean, I, I made a real simple version of this stew, but, but that's a, that's a traditional way of eating Filipino food. Mm. A a lot of Filipinos do like sour-ish flavors and they obviously, uh, you know, we, we do the same thing in America. We'll put, a lemon wedge next to a seafood dish. Mm-hmm. And so, so we can understand how a sour helps with some of the seafood. But it, it's, it's a simple meal. And that's, I think, one reason why I used it. I, I have a lot more Filipino dishes. They're just not on the website necessarily. There's some are in my book. Some of them are for different episodes of different shows. Mm-hmm. So it's all over the place. But that one was particularly for Lent. I think it was Mm -hmm. like a cooking for one, or it was for Lenten season. Mm -hmm. And in Lent, Christians, Catholics particularly, will eat less red meat. Yes, and they'll eat fish, but not for the reason why people think. Mm. uh, Because fish is really an acronym for a phrase in Greek, Mm -hmm. and the word "ichthus" in Greek means fish. But again, that's an acronym. Or the phrase, Jesus Christus Theus Huyus Soter, which means Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. Mm. And so that's why Catholics in particular will eat fish, because that was an ancient Christian symbol of faith.
0: Mm. Mm. So it's less about abstaining from meat and more about celebrating
1: Christ. Yeah, I mean, because it's more about abstaining from rich and luxurious food. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, people will just have lobster and that'll be a perfectly <laughs> legitimate meal. And I keep telling people, you know, like, I don't cook fish to make it penitential. Mm. You no, know, I cook fish and it's delicious. Mm. But it's more than anything, it's 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 a reminder of mm-hmm. who we are, what this time is about, and who it is we're trying to be more like. Mm. Jesus, who was known as a fisherman, even though he was. Not even that. He Mm -hmm. was a carpenter's son, but they called him shepherd. They called him fisherman. They called him divine physician. So ultimately, he's the one who provided food for people.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that connection. Sure. Yeah. So you did grow up in Baltimore. You did grow up, I know, from watching your videos that you grew up in a Filipino home. Was your home also Catholic?
1: Oh, yeah. So my dad was Protestant for uh, before he met my mother. He mm-hmm. converted. And, you know, he he obviously and my mom raised us all in the Catholic faith. I lived mm-hmm. in Baltimore City and mm-hmm. we kept the Filipino traditions, you know, integrated as best as we could in our American culture, very Anglo culture. Mm-hmm. But it was it was the 70s and the 80s. So things were a little bit more wholesome back then. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very intact family. And we ate dinner every night, even though we ate very late compared to my American friends. Mm. Because my dad was a doctor and he was, you know, uh, just a foreign medical graduate. So he got the the bad shifts, Mm. so to speak. And so we would eat like around eight o'clock, nine o'clock sometimes at night. Mm. Mm -hmm. But we always ate together as a family. And I reflect about how my mom was really just phenomenal as Mm. a cook because she could just make it taste good. And Mm
0: -hmm.
1: all of my friends would come over and they wouldn't even know what to do with it all. They just kept eating it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did she mainly pull from
1: now Filipino traditions? She did. She mainly pulled from Filipino traditions. Yeah, for sure. I mean, she, she was a home economics teacher in the Philippines, but in the Philippines, you, you always had live in servants Mm -hmm people, Mm -hmm. generally sometimes even poor relatives, but they would be the ones responsible for cooking. So my mom really didn't even do much cooking when she was in the Philippines. So she picked it all up in America and she excelled because Mm -hmm. I think she just has a really good palate. Um, So Mm -hmm. she just has a way of, you know, Asian food in general is known for its umami quality, Mm -hmm. which is just, I would call deeper flavors,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: marinating foods more than just simply seasoning them.
0: Yes. Uh, for instance, I noticed that you kept in this particular dish, the sin gang, you kept the shells of the shrimp and like in the light oil while you parboiled the yes. shrimp just to flavor that a little bit. So then as you add other things in these layers, they just start layering the flavors, yeah. start layering yeah. on top of each other instead of just being added there at the end.
1: Yeah, for sure. And when I actually made that particular video, unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of shrimp. Yes. So, we, we, like, so so I was I was kind of stuck. I'm like, I can't multiply shrimp. I mean bread bread and fish, yeah, not shellfish like this. But with the seafood synagogue, it's always about eating rustically. You want to just keep yeah. the shell on because that's where a lot of the flavor is. And you know who has the luxury of peeling all of your shrimp before you cook it? Yeah. <laughs> like, who has that luxury? And, and and for Filipinos, they would literally also cook it with the heads on. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that particular episode had the heads on it or not. Probably they not. did. Yes. Okay, you good.
0: made that point of doing that in order to add the flavor.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, because delicious food is poor people food. Yes. Yes.
0: Because you're using all the parts.
1: Yeah, but I mean, there's there's flavor in those parts because there are, you know, I mean, it's really embarrassing that we have maybe four cuts of meat off of a cow. Mm. So you know, that's Mm -hmm. what people know.
0: They'll Mm -hmm. know maybe
1: four cuts of meat, but they don't know anything about the animal, Mm. and and it's a real shame because what do you do with it? Does it just all go to waste? Well, that's not the purpose of food. Right. That's that's not the purpose of who we are as stewards of this planet. You know, so we want to, I want to try to make people aware of simplicity of mm-hmm. cooking. It doesn't have to be dramatic, mm-hmm. but people ask, what is your style? Well, I studied at the culinary, yeah, at the Cordon Bleu in Italy. So mm-hmm. I took courses there, mm-hmm. but really my style is elevating accessible ingredients. Whatever hmm. accessible, let's just elevate it. Let's do something different. Let's do something fun. mm mm-hmm. If you were to elevate a meal, what it's going to do? It's going to make people more interested in it. Mm -hmm. They're going to be inspired by it. It's going to give them delight. It'll Mm -hmm. give them maybe some inquisitive uh, quality to the meal. That Mm. it'll evoke some sentimentality, and it'll just make a connection.
0: Mm. So, Mm.
1: yeah, you never want to destroy an ingredient. I mean, I think that's what uh, Wolfgang Puck's motto was. He wanted to get the best ingredient, not screw it up. He used a different (laughs) word, of course. I'm a priest. So
0: (laughs) And was your mother like that? Was your mother an intuitive cook that could take anything and she would know how to use it?
1: I think so. Again, Mm -hmm. you know, cooking is just as much of an art, which means talent, as it is a discipline, which means skill to be practiced. Mm -hmm. She is definitely a very intuitive, very creative, very artistic person. And mm. I kind of realized that after I had just kind of made a little bit of a name for myself when it comes to food, mm. because she could outcook me on so many levels and mm. so many ways.
0: What What um, do you mean by that? Give me an example.
1: So I remember going to my home for, uh, what was it? Christmas, Thanksgiving, or New Year's. They all kind of blend together for Filipinos. I mean, we start putting- <laughs> We start putting the tree up whenever the months end with the letter R. Okay. So, <laughs> so, well, so, you and Costco. <laughs> oh yeah, like, and everyone else. But, but yeah. I remember I walked in and there was just, I mean, we always have a big feast and mm. it's a little embarrassing. No, It's kind of obnoxious actually because you can't really enjoy one thing because mm-hmm. there's so many things. Mm. So that's, I don't necessarily appreciate it from a culinary point of view. I just want to be able to sit with just this one thing and just mm-hmm. enjoy it. But you yeah. just feel the pressure because there's 14 to 15 dishes and they're all unique yeah. and they don't go together, but mm. somehow it works. But mm-hmm. I remember walking in and there was literally a pumpkin sitting in the center of the table. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> what? thanks mom. And she goes, I'll pick it up. Mm-hmm. And so I picked it up and this crazy aroma just kind of hit me, and it was quite wow. delicious because she had pureed all the pumpkins, she had kind of pressed it all out and just got the juices and she she added some coconut milk to it, wow, as well as some other herbs and it had uh it had kind of like a seafood flavor to it, and there certainly was seafood in it, so it was literally wow. Pumpkin, Uh, with broth and it was creamy and there was seafood in it and there was seaweed in it. And I'm like, (gasps) what the heck is this? And why do I want to throw it on some rice and rub it on my face? (laughs) It was really good. It was just really, really good. Incredible. Well, it was incredible. And so I looked at that and I just Mm. thought, where, where in God's name did she come up with this stuff? But I've done that too to a degree. Yeah. Um, but she's just really good. Yeah. That. There's no question where you get it from. Well, yeah. I mean, because it wasn't my dad. My dad could fry rice. You know, that's what he did. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I that is a meal I will always remember too, because there were days when um I would smell fried rice and mm. I would be so excited and it would be pink. Jeez. Uh Because he used something, it was a Filipino ingredient. It's shrimp paste.
0: Okay, yeah. I've heard of that. Never used it, it, but heard of it.
1: Yeah, and it literally turns everything purple. It stinks to high heaven. Yeah. But it emits an amazing sea saltiness. And Italians do it similarly, too. You don't know it, but true Italian cuisine will have literally an anchovy melted into the olive oil before they add things into it like a puttanesca, for example. but that's what my dad did with fried rice so he just made he'd make rice pink hmm. <laughs> like hey, right. right, dad that's what that's how you roll but it was kind of interesting because then he'd fry a, an egg nicely fried mm. and so you have pink the <laughs> of the egg, egg egg white and then this beautiful bright yellow or orange.
0: Yeah. Well, some people eat green eggs and ham. You had pink rice and eggs. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Bon appetit. (laughs) Amazing, amazing, amazing. So before we talk about your conversion, if you want to call it that, again, this kind of cultural identity, I guess, that maybe you had as a child. And I guess the way I want to ask it is, is to be Filipino, to be Catholic in your family.
1: Do you know what I'm asking? Yes, of course. It's cultural. Mm It's certainly yeah. cultural in the same way if you're Greek you're Greek Orthodox. Right. In Jerusalem you might be a Jew mm-hmm. more than anything. But yeah, for sure Filipino and Catholicism goes hand in hand, but I grew up in a very Anglo-American culture mm-hmm. and I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. Yes, I'm that old, right? And <laughs> so I uh, religion was still a part of life, but then you know when you got older in my 20s when I was, you know, in the 90s You just kind of realize, does this do anything for me? Mm. I was never a jerk about it, though, when it comes to religion. I always just went to church because Mm. what would be the point of arguing with your parents for an hour of your life? You know, I mean, it's just I just (laughs) Mm -hmm. I just was not engaged. Mm -hmm. And so why would I be? I'm just a typical kid. You know, as far as religion is concerned, it's a little deep. For me, mm-hmm. mm. uh, but again, I went with the flow, and I've had you know, positive-ish experiences of the church. Mm. But it, there was no need for me to get more invested in it and to give what I would call, or you know, what theologians call, a conscious assent to mm. it all. But food mm. is up; food is a part of it, and I I reflect on it in one of my books mm. about how food was really always present throughout. Because being Filipino meant that we had fiestas mm. and fiestas always meant you got to bring the priest out and they got to bless the food mm. and hopefully they don't give a sermon so we could just <laughs> eat for God's sakes. Right. <laughs> and in our fiestas, there's always, and this is true even for American culture, there's foods associated to the feast days.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that's what we did. And so growing up, there was just a lot of fiestas
0: mm-hmm.
1: And I'm grateful that I'm Catholic because we have more feast days than we have fast days.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. Unlike and, the Greek Orthodox
1: Church that you oh, mentioned. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. They have, they, have, they have the equal amount. and They actually celebrate it with gusto. Americans are a little bit more platonic. They're obviously more puritanically influenced, so mm-hmm. they don't really get as excited about it unless it deals with green beer on, you know, yeah. <laughs> Patrick's day. But for Filipinos, mm. we're a poor country, even now, even though it's one of the fastest developing economies in the, you know, the Pacific Island, mm. still a poor country. So what do they got? They have their faith, they have their family, mm. and whenever they have a reason to feast, they do. Mm. And they're happier than we are in America. Even though mm. we've got everything, mm. we don't smile as much. We're nowhere near as nice as just Filipinos. Yeah. The so community's that, not nearly as strong. Oh yeah. And well, they're and they're poor. So yeah. in their poverty, there's something called humility mm. that we just need more of. Mm. So that mm. humility, and even though it's very simple food,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's so worth celebrating
0: So, you never felt any sense of rejection of either your culture or Catholicism or the food that was, you know, Filipino food. You never felt any sort of rejection of that. And at some level, you even felt an appreciation for it. You just, it was never exciting to you until a certain point.
1: Okay. Yeah. Maturity means that I just look back at my life and realize that I'm grateful even for. Mm many rejections. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, I, mm-hmm. again, I've experienced racism. I just knew, and my parents kind of raised us this, this way, that they're going to be people who don't like you because they don't understand you. Mm-hmm. And what you've got to do is show the respect that you expect to receive and mm-hmm. don't make a fuss, make them like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you. know, So don't change who you are, but Show the best version of you so that they don't reject you. So, yeah, kids were mean. I mean, Mm -hmm. they would do the whole ching chong, ching chong, and I'd be like, I don't know what that is. I'm Filipino. Like, (laughs) I don't speak that language. Yes, yes. I was called many nicknames. I wasn't that great in every sport. And so Mm -hmm. there were times when I was picked towards the last as opposed to, you know, Mm -hmm. in the middle. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was smaller than many of my friends were. It didn't mean that I didn't have the same kind of, Growing up experiences because you know yeah my first girlfriend was like a foot taller than me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> well, good on both of you for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I mean it was like it was it was just us growing mm-hmm. up, and so there were always rejections. There were certain sure. opportunities when people just looked at my food that we had and just like sure. what's that? Yeah. And then they- tasted it. And then they're like, it's like crack. They wouldn't stop. Eating. <laughs>
0: Seven. So, and I guess I was referring to you personally, internally, never pushed away all of those things. Um, either your culture, your Catholicism, your food, you just weren't, you weren't ready to embrace them either.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, who does when you're mm. You know, when you're between 10 and 16 years old, when really the only thing you really care about is, you know, am I going to get a pimple? So (laughs) those things didn't really matter too much to me. Mm. I just knew that I liked the food. Look, there were times when my mom was trying to feed me and I was in the, you know, before teenage years or even maybe even afterwards, where all I wanted was a disgustingly greasy cheese pizza. Mm. I I didn't want to eat pork adobo. I didn't want to eat lumpia. I didn't want to eat a pan fried steak with caramelized onions. I mean, these are all like (laughs) amazingly delicious things, but I just wanted a cheap pizza. He just wanted a pizza. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, no, no identity rejection Mm -hmm. in part because I think I knew that people liked it. I mean, like mm-hmm. people People always came over to the house. I mean, I called my home Hotel Paddling Hug because <laughs> everybody always came over to eat. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just, I couldn't get them out of the house. And mm-hmm. so I just knew that people liked the food and mm-hmm. it ingratiated them, ingratiated us to them. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Which is now exactly what you try to do kind of, I want to say as an ambassador for Catholicism. So just like food ingratiated people to your culture, your Filipino culture. Now this is the gateway that you use to ingratiate people to your faith, to your
1: God. Well, I mean, actually it was the method Mm. that Jesus used. Mm. (laughs) I mean, like, Mm -hmm. so I have written a whole kind of treatise on a theology of food, but not for Mm. academics, just for, for just people who want to hear a perspective Mm. about food that they don't always hear, Mm. I can teach you how to cook, but really what I want to do is show you why. Mm. And that, that does get spiritual. Yes. Jesus used food all the time. He Mm. became food. Mm. And so, uh, you know, this has nothing to do with a denomination. It has everything to do with a revelation. This is Mm. just how Jesus taught. His first miracle was wine yeah. from water. His second miracle was multiplication of the loaves and fishes. He, he talked about size of a mustard seed, how it's, uh, uh, and then the fig leaf, and then the whole idea of family as a vineyard. And mm. then also how you're blessed like shoots of olive and how the birds of the air, they never have to work for their food because God provides mm. all of this to the point of the last supper where he says, eat this to remember me. And then Mm -hmm. even after he rose from the dead, some of his first words were, have you anything to eat? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so it's just a whole mentality that we have overlooked because Mm -hmm. spirituality is so distant. Yes. Yes. Spirituality is not supposed to remain in the head. It's supposed to actually enter into your stomach. We're supposed to digest the faith. We're supposed to make it a part of who we are. We are Mm -hmm. what we eat. So you're absolutely right. I will continue to steal Jesus's idea <laughs> and use food to make people sit and eat with me, even if they hate everything about me,
0: including mm. my
1: politics, maybe my race, maybe my religion. I mm-hmm. do not care. I mm. will eat with you and dag nag it. I will make you like my food.
0: Mm, I just appreciate that so much. And I think that I, I really do appreciate that, because so often, you know, of course, the, the Bible is looked at as a very archaic book. So I, you should know, I am not Catholic, but I am Christian, my faith is very important to me. The Bible's often looked at as a very archaic book. And so people tend to say, well, all of those are just because, you know, it was an agronomy uh, a society, and that's how people thought about things. But no, I think it goes I think it goes so much deeper than that. I think that food I I say this all the time. I think that food is honestly direct revelation from God. I think that when you look at something like a beetroot with its stunningly beautiful fuchsia color, right? And this 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 thing that grows underground, it magically, (laughs) to use a very non-religious word, absorbs the nutrients from the ground. It's like it would be enough if it were just beautiful. I mean, you can make arrangements with vegetables. That's how beautiful they are. It would be an intricate. It would be enough if they were just beautiful. It would be enough if they were only nutritious and healing, as we know that they are. It would be enough if they were only delicious. But to be all three, I think there's so much more reason that. Jesus in the Bible talks about food than just, oh, because he was talking to farmers. No, I think it applies just as much even now to all of us. And how does he even portray heaven? It's a feast.
1: Yeah, for sure. And as far as a direct revelation of God, you're absolutely right. I mean, Mm. the whole purpose of the work that I do is, is just to remind people that everything you put into you is a blessing. And, and you don't even have to be religious to not believe what, or agree with me. Because mm-hmm. look, especially in America, even the most poor people in America are still way wealthier than mm-hmm. the majority of the people around this world. Mm-hmm. We have infinite, almost, access to food. Mm-hmm. And we throw more food away than we can actually feed people. Yeah. And that's it's... why I say every bite is a blessing. And all you've got to do is open your eyes and see how hungry people are. But yet in America, while we are the richest country in the world, Mm -hmm. we are also one of the most spiritually poor countries in the world because you literally have people who can have a feast, but they're still angry. They're still depressed. Mm -hmm. Life is still not right for them. They're still going to have a tantrum Mm -hmm. about something. And even though like there's people in the Philippines just literally eating scraps of rice with Mm -hmm. a little bit of fish broth and whatever greens they can find and getting a lot of flavor from fish scales as well as fish, you know, some sort of shellfish Mm -hmm. eating with their fingers, which is a style of eating in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. They're happier than we are. (laughs) Why -hmm. is that? Well, I think it's because they know that what they have, as little as it is, is a blessing. So Mm -hmm. I tell people, Count your blessings. Go ahead right now, all your listeners, look in your refrigerator and find out how much food you have. Mm. It's a lot.
0: Our refrigerator and our deep freezers.
1: Oh, yeah. And our Cupboards. second freezers. Yep. <laughs> yeah, our yep. pantries. Yep, yep. Mm. And I think a, a really mm. good sign of a mm. good chef, a very educated cook mm. is someone whose refrigerator is empty regularly mm. because that means that nothing is going to waste, that they're mm. actually using what's in there. Mm. I'll be the first to admit there are a couple jars that have been in my refrigerator for what, maybe two years. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I don't need all that goju jang, but I don't need <laughs> because it's already fermented <laughs> as long as it's not moldy. <laughs> and if you know how to cook, you know how to prevent mold from getting onto it. So, mm. Uh, mm. so my refrigerator is pretty empty right now. I'm I'm happy to say.
0: I I appreciate that. Yeah, we have leftover nights. It's also a sign of a good cook because it means your kids are eating your leftover.
1: That's right. You got to be able to repurpose it.
0: You're developing your your kids' palates. So obviously food is exactly like you said. It's the way that you show people God now. For you in your own life, did your love for the two, for cooking and your love for Jesus and the church... Happen in parallel? Were they enmeshed in your own life or is, did that come later, bringing it the was, two together? Uh, yeah. Hello, listeners, and thank you again for tuning in today. I wanted to take a moment and announce that the Storied Recipe Print Shop is now. So as many of you know, before becoming a podcast host, I was a food photographer, specializing in storytelling photos that celebrate extraordinary light and fresh ingredients. I am still a food photographer, but now my subjects are the recipes that my guests share with me weekly. Our family's living spaces are full of images celebrating the diversity and beauty of nature's bounty and the powerful stories my guests have shared like Father Leo's, today. Increasingly, I've been asked if I sell any of these prints, and now I'm so excited to say, yes, I do. To visit this shop where every image literally tells a story, just head over to my website, thestoriedrecipe.com, and click on the Print Shop tab. And now, let's return to Father Leo's remarkable story.
1: It came when I actually went to... The North American College, which is the seminary in Rome Mm. for American students. And I lived literally right next to the Vatican. I could see the Pope Mm. from where I lived, And so there was one day. Now, I had already known how to cook. I was cooking prior to even entering seminary. I worked at a, a pizza place. I also worked at a gourmet sausage factory as well. So I kind of knew cooking. And Mm. my mom taught me a lot of the skills. I had pretty good knife skills. Mm. But there was something about the Italian culture. And believe me, I didn't even want to go to Italy because I didn't think I was going to like all the food there. Mm. Oh, really? really, Yeah, I didn't have real Italian food.
0: Mm. You were thinking spaghetti.
1: Yeah, out of a can or just the kind that you get like at a chain restaurant. And Mm -hmm. it always left me with just such an acidic stomach feeling. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't as excited about the cuisine mm-hmm. until I went and then I was amazed with just mm. how deep flavored and authentically feeling the food hmm. was. And, you know, like for Italian fresh, food like a contact sport. I mean, they <laughs> take it so serious. Like uh, I, I remember learning Italian and eavesdropping
0: uh-huh.
1: of people on the train or on the bus. And honestly, they talked about sex politics and food that's Mm, all they talked about with the same level of passion with equal levels of passion (laughs) pretty much and so so no uh, but
0: you had already if you were going to seminary you had kind of already decided this was a lot more than the kid who was pretty uh blase I don't want to disrespect anybody about the whole religion thing
1: Oh yeah. Well, my my conversion happened because of a trip that I took to Europe. Mm-hmm. I went to what is called a pilgrimage site. It was a place where allegedly miracles happened. Mm. These children were seeing visions of the Virgin Mary giving them these unique messages. I didn't really care about going. My brother paid for a trip to Europe, so I said, "Fine, I'll go." Mm. And, you know, I I went and I experienced some pretty profound things. I came back hmm. very much a changed man. I do believe miracles happened and the church, the Catholic church at least has the tradition of approved apparition, miraculous sites because they follow real strict scientific kind of code. And so, hmm. so this was just one of these unique places I went and I really, there was my, like my first taste of Europe. Hmm. And so it was pretty cool. It was formerly Yugoslavia, now Bosnia-Herzegovina. And the, mm. But the influence is Croatian. Okay. And Croatian food is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I kind of enjoy I don't know that. much about Croatian food, what flavors kind of they embrace. It's a mix of Eastern Europe and just Western Europe huh. because they're very central. It's Central yeah. European, hmm. but also very Dalmatian. The Dalmatian Sea is there. So they've got beef, amazing beef, but also amazing seafood. Interesting. Just, it's, it's poor flavored foods, but so good. Mm. And so, uh, so that trip kind of brought me to a conversion, a recognition that God is real and that maybe God has a plan for me. And it was a very slow go. But about mm. five years of practicing my faith, I decided to become a priest. Wow. And that kind of freaked everybody out because I was supposed to be a lawyer. Wow. And, or a journalist. And then I instead entered seminary. The bishop sent me to Washington, D.C., for first year of philosophy. And then he sent me to Rome Mm. for the rest of my studies. And I spent six years ultimately there. And that's where I fell in love with cuisine. Mm, Okay. But cuisine. And it was one of the retreats. There were times when we had a whole week of silence. So there was no talking except for in prayer. And It was a time to listen. And I had many food and faith experiences from that. One profound moment was when a retreat director asked us to meditate on the food we were eating, to look at it, to just discern colors. Imagine what are you thinking when you see this food and then smell it. And then it was a very self-awareness of your relationship to the food. So smell it, what, do you, what memories evoke, what feelings mm. do you have? What are the sensations besides hunger? Mm. And then eat it slowly and discern the flavors and then imagine it going into your system and what happens to it. And in that moment, I just kept thinking of all of the hands that touched my food. Interesting. You know? And mm. it brought me to a revelation of how food brings us into communion with each other Mm. so Mm. many hands and it was actually quite emotional for me so while the rest of my friends were like rolling their eyes because they thought it was a stupid meditation i was actually kind of (laughs) crying
0: wow yes and because i'm a chef (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Right. And so it's so interesting because not just communion, of course, we think about, you know, kind of fellowshipping over the table and communion with the people that you're eating with, but you felt communion with the farmer that had grown and picked the agriculture and you felt communion with the person who had prepared the meal. You felt communion with people that were unseen.
1: Yeah. The people who had it in their markets, the people who had to drive the truck to bring it there, the people who watered it, the people, you know, who actually picked it the people who didn't even know it was fruit when they would plant the seed you know and and then from generation to generation so there was a real sense of connectivity to the people and it really became a revelation to me as to why jesus became food why did he choose to reveal himself as bread and wine why would he say at almost a a last will and testament eat this and remember me and Mm. so kind of a little bit of a mind blow. And Mm -hmm. again, only because I had already loved food. And while I was in seminary, I was already kind of like taking classes of just some culinary things and Mm -hmm. just Really going into the markets and becoming the foodie before that even became a thing, mm-hmm. um, you know. Uh, taking pictures of my food with my <laughs> with my camera that you had to actually have film to develop, you mm-hmm. know. So and then meeting a lot of chefs and mm-hmm. they knew I had some skills, so they would come over to our seminary kitchen. I would teach them burgers and barbecue, mm-hmm. and they would teach me how to make pasta. And then I took classes. Mm. So there was a real kind of moment, but I never knew that it was going to be a real identity hmm. for myself. I had no idea that it was going to be the way people would associate me.
0: Hmm. So is that something you feel like, do you feel God did that? He just kind of put this path down that you followed or was there
1: oh, a yeah. more conscious? No, no conscious nothing. I would, Mm -hmm. I never became a priest so that I could become a cook. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I became a priest so that I could feed people, you know, with truth, with love, Mm -hmm. with the gospels, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I had no idea the analogy would become a reality. Mm -hmm. And the only reason why it became a reality is because God put it in place for me to meet certain people to take them, take this idea and turn it into a movement. God. Took it to the mm. Food Network when I beat Bobby Flay. Yes. <laughs> you know, and the, that was the thing that literally just blew everything up. I mm. knew none of that was going to happen. I wasn't angling myself to do yeah. those things. You know how there are some people who just want to be on the Food Network? Yeah. I never applied to be a Food Network star. I never applied to even be on any show. I yeah. didn't care, to be honest with you, until it happened. And then it became something. Yeah.
0: Interesting. So for those of us outside, outside the Catholic church, I Mm -hmm. do have some questions about how all of this works, like on a practical level, because
1: so uh, church
0: has those same questions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really am very curious about this. So, well, first of all, and and I'm going to kind of go general, and then I might kind of go bullet point with some of them. But first of all, as a Catholic priest, do Catholic priests see their mission as towards the Catholic people? So they're going to kind of shepherd those in the church? Or do Catholic priests see their mission
1: to the world? It's to, both and. Yeah. It's so both so and. Uh-huh. Because depending, the priesthood is is an identity of who you are. It does not denote what you do. Uh, So we are spiritual fathers for anybody who needs a spiritual father. So Mm -hmm. generally people will know priests as working in a church known as a parish Mm -hmm. or serving a particular community, whether it be a school, a prison or a medical facility. Mm -hmm. But there are also different types of priests because they belong to a different type of a congregation. Some ah. work specifically with the poor, some work mm-hmm. specifically with the youth, some work specifically in um, education or mm-hmm. hospitals. So depending on that type of community. and, and some
0: work for the food network.
1: <laughs> yeah well like, well, if you cooked at least on the food network um, because strangely that mm. was what missionary priests did, you know mm-hmm. America before it became what it is today. Mm-hmm. Was considered literally one church. Mm. and, and it, actually Baltimore was known as the Archdiocese of the United States. so it was it was a geographical kind of connotation that the church in Baltimore was in charge of the entire United States.
0: Oh, is that what archdiocese means? Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. so
1: now an archdiocese is in what they would call the the bigger grouping. Huh. around smaller dioceses, so the arching diocese. So at one point, priests just simply had to do what they had to do to survive and spread the message. They would have to farm, they yeah. had to build a church, they would have mm-hmm. to you know, develop a store, they would have to do anything mm-hmm. just to kind of be part of people's lives. Mm-hmm. It's become very bureaucratized yeah. mm-hmm. and systematized. That has its positive qualities, but it also makes us lose our connection to just reality to a degree. Mm. And mm-hmm. so my work is trying to connect those realities. Right, right, right. So you
0: are not assigned as priest to a particular parish.
1: No, I am what okay. you would call a missionary priest. Okay. So I am sent What the word mission means, Uh just sent to different parts of the country and the world to be as Jesus was an itinerant preacher, just kind of going around. But my real identity comes from the community that I'm a part of. I was part of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. About ten years into my priesthood, I realized that I was called to a different style of priestly ministry, and so now I am a member. Of a secular institute, hmm. and that's a very confusing set of terms. But I'm part of a community that has a mission to you'll get the food reference immediately be 11 mm. in the secular world. Mm. So my community not only approves but supports me in the work that I do because I'm bringing the gospel message to a different group of people who might not be coming to church. There are more people who don't go than do go.
0: Mm -hmm. I see. So when you say it's a part of a community, it's like rather than belonging to a parish, you belong to a collection of, is is it all priests or is it lay people as well who are all called to a similar mission? Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes. And uh, my, my particular community is a combination of clergy and laity and we all have very different apostolates, different you know, works, different missions. So some are in education, some are in hospitals, some are, in, some are doing work in parishes, but they mm. also have something mm. that kind of enters into the secular world a little bit. And mm-hmm. mine is quite unique. I, I'm even unique for them.
0: Well that that's what I was I I was just so curious as I was reading through this like are priests you know are they allowed to make money and at a more fundamental level are priests allowed to be ambitious to want to grow something to want to write books and put on TV shows and appear on Bobby Flay and yeah are these I mean, things approved sure. uh because it all comes down to you are sure. doing it as a ministry
1: yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm there's always going to be question of, you know, what exactly is Leo doing? Is is, is he a real priest or not? Mm-hmm. So for anyone asking, I'm very much a real priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the priesthood. I love mm-hmm. my Catholic faith and I love the Catholic church, even if there are just some idiots in it and they've done some stupid, mm-hmm. horrible, mean, disgusting mm-hmm. things. So, mm-hmm. but that's true for every church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, Any organization every organization mm-hmm. is, as long as there's people it's going to be screwed up yeah mm. but there is something to be said about it that makes me incredibly proud of it like we are the largest feeding center organization in all of world's history we started universities libraries and hospitals mm-hmm. where christianity has flourished there have been just and equal societies that have even allowed for religious diversity that's mm. not true for other religious-based countries. There is very little religious diversity in other countries that are of a different religious, you know, ethnic centrism. So I'm, I'm grateful for all the good things that the Catholic Church has done and including giving me the opportunity to do what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we want to encourage the entrepreneurial spirit. Not everyone has it and not everyone should do it. Mm -hmm. Some are more in the maintaining mode. People like me are more in mission mode. Mm -hmm. And so my work is really different, but gratefully, when people see it, they sense that God is at work here because it's Mm -hmm. really, I'll just give you a quick example. I just did an organizational presentation on Zoom for a major financial company with their Coordinating leaders of a certain region. They've been at business talks for literally three past days. And instead mm-hmm. of having a meal together because they couldn't, they were all virtual in their own homes. Mm-hmm. I led a cooking demonstration with them all.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's 30 great. of them. So yeah. they
1: they bought the ingredients. I cooked the meal with them. Mm-hmm. And the director of the program said, I have been getting nonstop emails saying how much they loved it, how fulfilled they were, how mm-hmm. inspiring it was. And so, look, I'm preaching to a bunch of financial representatives, you know? Right. And they had a good meal. (laughs) Right.
0: Right. Well, Jesus didn't stay in the synagogue, right?
1: (laughs) No, he spent very little time there, in fact. Yeah. (laughs) And that's what got him ultimately killed was that he Mm. kind of bent the rules. He Mm. never broke them, but he did want to say, that there needs to be flexibility in how we experience God. And I believe if you want to really experience God, eat some really awesome food Mm. with genuinely good people who care more about you Mm. than the food.
0: Mm. So tell me about this Plating Grace ministry and the dinners that
1: you host. Who comes to them and what do you do so At them. really, Plating Grace is just the name of the organization, mm-hmm. and it's the umbrella for the craziness of my life, from the <laughs> TV shows <laughs> to the books to the podcast to mm-hmm. the speaking. And during COVID, my whole life was completely transformed mm-hmm. because usually I host large events and I travel, the two yeah. things that are completely restricted. Yeah. So I instead shifted gears and started doing smaller supper clubs where we could be socially distant Mm -hmm. where we could be, you know, COVID compliant and I would create thematic dinners. I would just invite whoever wanted to come. Generally, the people who are part of my movement would come, Mm -hmm. but then there are many people who don't live near me, and they literally would just say, oh, my daughter and her boyfriend live there. I'm buying a ticket for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, and they've literally showed up not knowing what to expect, not (laughs) religious in any way, but their minds are blown because of the food, and they are quote-unquote foodies, Mm -hmm. and then they leave thinking, when are we doing the next one? you know mm-hmm. so so it's just me providing opportunities for togetherness mm-hmm. creating thematic meals and working with some a lot of talented local people mm-hmm. and literally just making something so that they have a memory and when they mm-hmm. eat this they will remember me Mm, I never thought of that, uh, the logistical part of it, that you have to
0: bring on so many local people when you go to each new place to put these dinners on. You can't do all that yourself.
1: Oh, I mean, I have. Mm. It's just a lot of work. But I also have a nonprofit group that tries to support returning Mm. citizens from incarceration. Yes. Ex-convicts. So so I I have to kind of also raise money to do what I can to support them. And really, Mm -hmm. the big initiative right now is God willing, getting our food truck, which has been on my books forever. Mm. But during COVID, I've had a little bit more time to focus on it. So Mm. we're going to be hopefully getting our food truck, which will give ex-convicts, returning citizens, an opportunity to work with us, Mm. develop some relationships with our partners, Mm. and hopefully after developing the skills to become the better version of themselves and more marketable,
0: They'll mm-hmm. hopefully
1: get hired and have a career
0: mm. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. So would this be food trucks that you would have? Is this like a traveling food truck? or Are you thinking that you'll have some stationed in cities across the
1: U.S.? Well, uh, first of all, it's just truck singular. We're not, at, <laughs> not at tr- We haven't You don't have a fleet? No. no, because it, it's such a unique concept. Mm. And so we are going to be testing it out very yeah. soon. Mm -hmm. And if we like it, we're going to grow it and we will share the logistics and the manifest to different dioceses and archdioceses so that Mm. they can replicate it, make it their own and have some really great food experiences
0: Mm. that
1: shares faith with new friends and serve a message with Mm. a meal.
0: It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Well, I just want to have a a wrap up with a couple of questions here. And again, I appreciate your time. I want to be very respectful of it. So, a lot of the people listening to this are, they love food, but they're not professional cooks, which means that they're cooking for families and for groups, and it can get tiring and exhausting and joyless after a little while. And my question for you, I guess, is just would you consider cooking for others to be? A divine act? Like, would you say that is a way that you could encourage some of the people listening to this?
1: In my book, Saving the Family, which is the most recent book, mm. talks about how cooking for people is a liturgy. And mm. liturgy is a word that we use to describe the way we pray when we're coming mm. together as a congregation. But the word in Greek means work. And mm. we know that in order to help people, it's always work. And mm. so What I try to do is provide encouragement in this book about how you can continue to feed your family at the different generations of your family's experience. So when -hmm. you're feeding Mm -hmm. them mashed peas to the point when they're feeding you mashed peas, Mm -hmm. there is work that needs to be done and Mm -hmm. liturgy of cooking is a divine experience. Mm -hmm. Listen, Feeding the poor, feeding the hungry, it's not going to get you an Emmy because of the Food Network's TV show ratings. Mm -hmm. But it is going to get you closer to the feast of heaven. Mm. And and that's ultimately what a family needs to be doing. When it's hard to cook for your family, that's when you're showing your love for them the most. Mm. Because if you don't feed them, then the devil will. <laughs> mm. That's just a fact. Wow. Yes. Mind is blown. I get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't feed your family with the good things. Then there is a force out there that will feed them lies mm. and hate and deception, but it looks delicious and is incredibly addictive.
0: Mm. It's fast
1: food. Satanist fast food <laughs> no I mean I, I have no trouble with fast food I mean you know it, Me neither. To, to that point you know just for your very foodie oriented people fast food was it grew out of a necessity because so yeah. many women were working alone because their husbands were fighting a war but yet that gave them an opportunity to at least have a family meal together yeah when we have done in this country we've abused it. Mm. as a gift and when you abuse anything whether it be liquor whether it be a mushroom whether it be bacon mm. it it hurts you so what we've got to do is return to the goodness of what fast food did it provided a very convenient opportunity for the family to eat together mm. but we're mm. not even doing that anymore so let's start with the basics how mm. do you eat together
0: mm. 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 I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Okay. Well, let's end on a super fun note before you tell us about all the places we can find you and read your wisdom and tell me about beating Bobby Flay. Tell me how that experience went down. Were you were you confident? Were you doubtful? And how did what was it like when that happened?
1: Well, I had no idea that the Food Network was even going to put me on that show, which was called Throwdown with Bobby Flay. Mm-hmm. That's the precursor. To the other show called Beat Bobby. Floyd. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah. So I had no idea. Did you apply? Nope. Never no. applied for anything. Okay. They found me uh-huh. because of the videos that we had been putting out. Mm-hmm. And then they said, well, we'd love to talk about your internet show and how you're feeding families and mm-hmm. you know how you're kind of connecting food and faith. I said, sure. And then in the middle of the episode taping, which took two days for mm-hmm. a half hour show, it turned out to be a throwdown. And they basically featured a quote unquote famous recipe, but it wasn't even famous. I literally made it up just a couple <laughs> of days before because I just took all of the ingredients that I had in the seminary pantry and put it together and created this fajita, which is uh-huh. now Father Leo's Funky Fusion Steak Fajita. <laughs> With
0: Holy no guacamole. Filipino roots at
1: all. Oh, no, definitely no. Filipino roots. Definitely. <laughs> because it actually combined ingredients from different countries where I traveled Mm. and put it all together in a marinade, which gave almost a Galbi marinade experience of a flank steak Mm. instead of a skirt steak. Hmm. And so the the recipe is incredibly interesting, but it's also very simple. And Mm. I, I have met many people who have said, that it's it's literally their go-to recipe when they want to impress people because it's just such a fun dish. And so it was a unique experience. It was nerve-wracking because I had just I'm literally cooking against a, a food network idol. Now, but this
0: this wasn't thrown on you in the 2 days. After the 2 days they said, "Hey, we think we'd like you to do something
1: else." No. Right? This is no. literally a surprise. Get out of here. that's how the show worked so oh my gosh the first day was featuring you and telling your story and then they got a crowd together and it's generally people who knew who I was and so they got this crowd together and literally in the middle of me talking about the dish that I'm going to make for them Bobby Flay enters into the crowd and he says hey I hear you make fajitas (laughs) and I hear you're famous for it but he said he says, I make fajitas too. And I'm like, oh, I know. <laughs> and he says, and he officially challenged me to a throwdown. No. And, and then we just cooked alongside of each other. And, you know, there was a lot of, you know, shop talk and a lot of mud getting slung back. And yeah. Yeah. Back. And it was great because you know what, win or lose, I did not care. It was just such an honor to have been featured And cooking against someone being in his presence, you know, and he's such a great guy. Was he he a nice guy? Oh, yeah. How he is on TV is exactly how he is in real life. He's just a New Yorker.
0: That's great. That's great. Well,
1: you said just to be featured was an honor, but come on, Winnie must have felt pretty good. (laughs) I felt damn good. I mean, it was awesome. And so I actually, uh, you know, people can still watch the show. Uh Uh-huh. Season seven, episode one. If you go to my website, platinggrace.com, just click on watch, you'll see a link that'll take you to being able to have access to the show. And it's just super fun. And I joke and I say, the reason why I won is because I put holy water in the marinade. <laughs> That's how I won. <laughs>
0: Well, that is a great story. And I have to tell you, I've seen Throwdown before, and I thought, oh, this is so fake. There's no way they're really surprising people, but I was wrong. My cynicism just got crushed by your awesome oh, yeah. story. So thank you. Thank you. Well, tell, yeah. So tell everyone um, where they can find you, how they can support you, the books they can read, so on and so forth. How can oh, yeah. we connect I've, with you?
1: So honestly, the best thing to do is go to Plating Grace. Mm -hmm. You have access to some of my web shows. You have access to the Food Network show. People have been able to book me for their conferences and their food shows and their food tours or even congregations. All of the books are available through our store at Plating Grace. And we have several initiatives like my new TV show, which is called Savoring Our Faith. Mm. And that's on EWTN. It's on every Sunday at 530. So you can even watch it excuse me, 4.30 Eastern time. So you can watch that show. And that's a fun show. And mm-hmm. then my podcast is called Shoot the Shiitake with Father Leo. <laughs> yeah, I love and, it. <laughs> um, and let's see, the new initiative we have is called the Academy, where mm-hmm. it's an online community of people who just love food, they love their faith, and they want new friends. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we've done, all at platinggrace.com
0: Wonderful. Thank you so very much, Father Leo. I've enjoyed this immensely. My pleasure. Have a great day, okay?
1: You too. Cheers.
0: Okay. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Father Leo for sharing his expertise, his faith, and his humor. You can find links to Father Leo's website over at thestoriedrecipe.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for my newsletter to keep up with upcoming episodes, recipes, and other news about the podcast. You'll also see plenty of free food photography resources there if that's your jam. Next week, we welcome Kimberly Espinel, a superhero in the world of food photography and styling and host of the Eat, Capture, Share podcast. Kimberly shares how her origin story, like that of many superheroes, was fraught with difficulties and loneliness that shaped her into a tenacious and brave but empathetic woman whose greatest strength is her ability to connect with diverse cultures, especially those who, like her, often found themselves in the place of the other. You don't want to miss this one, so subscribe now. And finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, I just will say this as clearly as I can, I need your help. I need you to share this episode with your friends and family. I need you to subscribe. And even if you would be so kind, to consider rating and reviewing the podcast. Each of those things means the world to me personally, and it helps me share my guest stories in their own voices and their own words more widely. Thank you and have a great week, my friends.